Today on The Ticker Tapes, we hear from Jean, who had a heart attack while putting on her walking boots one Sunday morning. When the paramedics were here and my daughter, I said, I'm just so glad I haven't left, you know, because I, I leave my house and then within five minutes, if that, I am in the middle of fields. There is just absolutely nothing there. Mm. And, and I said, I could have had this heart attack and been lying there for hours. I could have been dead. And my daughter said, well, just as well you didn't because they've let the cows into the field and I certainly wouldn't be sitting with you now because she hates, she's petrified of them. From the British Heart Foundation, I'm Bill Snedden. On the ticker tapes, we hear from people living with heart and circulatory conditions. On this episode, Jean tells me how her heart attack left her feeling vulnerable and alone, and how she drew strength from her past and from strangers who knew what she was going through. Jean, can you take me back to that Sunday morning in May 2020 when you begin to sense that something isn't quite right? It was a normal Sunday during lockdown. I had literally just put my walking boots on to go out for a walk uh, and really just felt there was something really wrong. And I can't say it was a dramatic pain or anything. I just really knew there was something very wrong and that I was probably having a heart attack um, was my initial and only reaction. Um, I stayed. I stayed conscious. I, I didn't panic. I, I I came upstairs and told my husband I thought I was having a heart attack. I then phoned whatever number you're meant to phone. I think it was one 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 or something. And there was a whole mm. um, probably nine 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 if it's a heart attack. But we'll no, we'll come I, back to that later on. Because it, it, it we had been it had been drummed into us. You know, you phone one 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 first because of all this COVID. Mm. And else and so I phoned that and and all I got was a an answer phone with all these instructions that if you think you have COVID and at that point I did think I really need to do something a bit more drastic um so I I I actually phoned my my daughter's home number because she she works in the local hospital and I knew she'd been on call and I didn't want her opening an ambulance door to find her mother there so I phoned her mm. and told her I thought I was having a heart attack and that I was putting the phone down to phone 999, um, which is what I did. And they asked me all the usual questions and they, um, she was brilliant, the lady on the end of the phone, very calm, very encouraging, very clear. And um, she arrived at the front door at exactly the same time as the ambulance arrived and the paramedics arrived. So. I phoned the ambulance at 10 to 8 in the morning. I shall always remember that. They checked me over. They did ECGs. My daughter was there. She made a joke about the extreme lengths I would go to to get a hug because we'd been in lockdown and I hadn't seen her since March. So, um, you know, it was a rather extreme thing to do, Mum, in order to just get a hug. Did you have a Did you have a chuckle in that moment? Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes, definitely. And uh, including the paramedics and everyone else. I was taken down to our local hospital where they kept me in the ambulance until the cath lab was ready. And um, then I was taken up to the cath lab and by 11 o'clock I was on coronary care having had a stent put in. So within three hours of phoning the ambulance, I was, um, I had been treated and I was on a ward. I, it was just hmm. 
phenomenally efficient and um, very calm, I suppose, is, is, a, is a good way. And the paramedics were lovely. Mm. It was a an absolute normal Sunday morning and I did not wake up with any idea that anything else was going to happen other than I was going out for my normal eight-mile walk or so, which is what I had been doing two or three times a week because the gym was shut and the swimming pool was shut and I was getting quite frustrated that um, I wasn't able to exercise. Mm. Jean, you say you thought or you knew you were having a heart attack when you were um, putting your walking shoes on. What was it that made you think that it was a heart attack? It was it was a, just a really uncomfortable feeling in my chest and a type of feeling that I've never had in my I've never never known. So all I can say it wasn't it wasn't excruciating pain. It was really really uncomfortable. It, it, it was truly uncomfortable and I just knew it wasn't okay to ignore it. So I can't say it was a it, it felt like a life-threatening thing or anything like that. It, it just was truly uncomfortable and I knew that I couldn't ignore it. It was it was one of those pains. And just something inside me said, you need to you need to sort this out. I can't I can't describe it. It wasn't a crushing pain. No, no. Hmm. No, not at all. Because it's very um it's very different from the stereotype of what people might think of when they think of a, a heart attack, the the kind of uh, stereotype of a man grasping at his chest in pain. Yeah. Um, it's quite different from that. And you say you were able to walk around the house and yep. um, call people. Yep. You were still really with it. Yes, I, I didn't lose consciousness at all. I, I was able to communicate with everybody. Um, so I just think it's really important um, for, for that part of it that it isn't always that crushing chest pain of people gripping their chest and that. That certainly was not where I was at all. Mm. Were there any other symptoms apart from that very uncomfortable, odd feeling in your chest? None at all. Um, and I can't say, you know, I I can't say I had felt ill or um, anything. It was... It was the most, it was the quickest onslaught of um, a, a change in my life, if you like, that I could experience, but it wasn't dramatic. Mm. And how was your husband during this moment? Um, he, he was stunned, actually, because funny enough, we, we are both widows and we had met in 2014. So we met in 2014 and we got married in 2016. I retired. I sold my house in 2015. I moved into his house. We sold his house in 2016 and we moved into a house that he had and we refurbished that in 2017. We lived there for three years and then moved again. So life had been really, really hectic. And I think when we moved in, we literally moved in within a week of um, going into lockdown. Okay, so there's a lot going on. A lot going on, very stressful. And, you know, moving into the house that we had chosen together and having both been on our own for, I'd been on my own 10 years and he'd been on his own 15 years. So, you know, we were actually really looking forward to being able to do things and sort the garden out and that's everything else. So, yeah, it was um, it was quite a, a sort of eventful part of my life, if you like. 
Mm, everything was derailed for a little bit. Absolutely. Uh, he coped very well. He's very pragmatic. He's quite calm. And uh, he, he just dealt with it. He, he, he deals with whatever comes in life, so, which is probably quite a nice way to be. Mm. Have doctors told you what they think might have caused your heart attack? No. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, I probably, uh, I was 71 when it happened. I was still, I had, been, I had worked until I was 68. And I had looked after the grandchildren and I had worked and I was fit and I used a gym and I swam regularly. So weight wise, I'm I'm not overweight. I'm, you know, I'm not tall, but I'm a, between a size eight and a size 10. There was just nothing. And in fact, they actually did say to me, you know, there would be no, you know, we can't change your diet. Your diet is good, which it is. I have Crohn's disease, so I've always been careful. I've always um, watched what I eat. So, yeah, um, mm. there's just nothing. The only, the only historical thing is that my mum had high blood pressure from a young age, and I have had high blood pressure from a young age. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the only um, sort of link, if you like, that okay. we have. But you've been on medication for your blood pressure since uh, you told yeah. me before we um, had this conversation, since your 40s. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was picked up. I was in a gym. I mean, uh, they did one of these spot checks all round, and mm. it was, it was through. It was very high. And it's interesting that in my thirties, when I went to, ha- I had some surgery. It was very, very low. You know, I, uh, their their concern postoperatively was how low my blood pressure was. So, um, it something sort of as I perhaps went into the menopause triggered it. And it certainly went went up. So, and mm-hmm. but it was always well maintained. It was, you know, I was always checked regularly. I wasn't on a high dose of um, uh, medication, and that, you know, it, it's just it can happen to anyone. I think that's the thing. It can, and the, the more I talk to people, the more I realise it does happen to anyone. And I think I think the as the doctors said to me afterwards, your lifestyle before the heart attack. It is indicative of how well I have got over it. Mm. So the fact that I kept fit, I mean, you know, as soon as I was able to, after the six weeks, I went back to walking. We were still in lockdown, but I found someone who who did post-op heart heart attacks. I forget what it's called. It, it's something that's local here, um, and I contacted him, and I had some one-to-one classes. Mm. Is this the cardiac my... rehab? Yes, that's it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I had some one-to-ones with him when I was allowed, and it it was really it it was it was useful to actually reassure me that I was I was fit enough to be able to go out walking on my own and doing some exercises, and I went back to Pilates, which I still do. So yeah, it, it's it's about regaining that confidence that you have. That's important. Well, you've just landed yourself as a poster girl for the BHF in cardiac recovery, Jean. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> well, I think I'm, I'm you know, I, I, I honestly think I, I also have to say that I was I was lucky with with my general health. I was lucky that I had the opportunity to get better. But actually, I was also my GP phoned and asked about medication and how I was doing and all the rest of it. And and the one thing she you know, the best piece of advice she gave me was the um 
British Heart Foundation website. And if I, you know, if I had queries, I could go on there. And, you know, she said, I'm sure you will find the answer as quicker than I can give it to you. And and she was absolutely right. And that's how I found your podcast. Yes. So your GP directs you to the BHF website. Yeah. And tell me how you stumbled across the first series of the ticker tapes. I, I it was... If you think about it, the ironical thing is that I have a really um, close girlfriend, as most women do, and we met when our kids were at nursery. And, you know, my daughter's now coming up 44, so that gives you an idea. And believe it or not, she'd had a heart attack the year before me, or two years before me, about the same age. So because when she had it, of course, I was there and I was able to go in and and take meals in and, you know, really be the supportive friend. And although everybody tried really hard to give me the support, it was from a distance because of lockdown. And having a heart attack is quite lonely when, when you come home, when, you, when, it, when there's lockdown. Mm. You're not going to see anyone. There's no socialising. You know, it, even your GP is a telephone call. It's not, There was just nothing. And I was sort of browsing through and I saw these podcasts and I, I've never been a, a great, you know, I, I never do that sort of thing, but I just clicked on it one afternoon and I clicked on the first one. And um, I think I've said before, the thing that got me was just the absolute genuineness of these three ladies. That they, they really brought it home to me just absolutely everything I was feeling and they made me laugh and they made me cry and it's interesting because I uh, my my career my my second career if you like was as a a counsellor within the NHS in primary care so I was used to actually facilitating group work and doing one-to-one work and group work I, I often used to feel was a bit of a role play thing people would speak about what they wanted people to hear but those three ladies were just so honest mm. just so honest about their sounds and their frustration and everything else that you know none of them were you know your your sort of stereotype of someone who would have a heart attack they were all yeah, youngish and, you know, enjoying life and active and everything else. Mm. So I, I just think it's, um, and they weren't lecturing, you're, you're absolutely, you know, that's the big thing. They weren't lecturing me on how not to have another heart attack. They were actually sharing their experience, which normalised my experience. And I think that's what we need at that point. We don't want lectures. Mm. We need somebody who really really understands it and um and who who can actually be a bit reassuring because it's quite frightening Mm. you know it's quite frightening and and as i say quite lonely Mm. you've told me in the past that after your heart attack during your recovery you were sliding into quite a low place yeah are you able to tell me about that it was very very lonely and i didn't quite know I was tired. I, I used to get tired very easily, and I couldn't. I couldn't ever imagine myself being able to do the walks that I I was doing before. And you wonder what you're doing. I mean, I had gone from being really fit, really active, working until a few years before, and just I, I was doing voluntary work and and really beginning to settle into this new life. 
And I just didn't see I didn't see a way out. I didn't I didn't ever imagine any of that coming back. And and it that's quite a dark place to go. That's quite a lonely place because there wasn't even a friend coming in who you could share that feeling with. And I'm back to, you know, I didn't want to burden the family with it. I didn't want to tell anyone how I was feeling because that they didn't need that pressure. Mm. They had enough pressures of their own in that point of time. And although some close friends knew how I was feeling. There was nothing, they felt helpless as well. So you wanted to protect them. So you begin to imagine that that is going to be your life. And however much people say to you, it will get better. Well, you know, how, how do I know that? It's, uh, and, and it was that sort of thing. I think if, I'm not sure if the lockdown hadn't been there. I, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced it may have been a bit easier, but I still feel you know having a heart attack you feel very very vulnerable afterwards and you wonder what's around the corner for you because it is just you know it's a bolt out of the blue you just don't expect it mm. um i'd had no niggling pains no aches no nothing nothing that i could actually say ah oh, well i i miss those signals mm. and i think that's what frightened me and i lost confidence i sort of fiddled around with the just on your website, um, purely just to see if there was a, a chat or something about people feeling the same. And I picked up on these podcasts and I have to say, they really boosted me up. They they made me feel normal. It normalised my feelings. And, and working as a counsellor for so many years and working in bereavement, it made me realise that that loss you know, when you normalise people's feelings through in bereavement, uh, the feeling of anger and the you know um, the the feelings that people go through uh, before they get to acceptance, denial, all those you know the bargaining that you do, it, you know, it, just to have five more minutes, all those sorts of things, it made me realise that. Um, what I had been feeling is like a grief process it, because you have lost something, but it's normal to feel that way. It's okay to feel that way mm. because, you know, you, you're not invincible. Mm. You've, you're saying you've lost an idea of yourself or a, a version of yeah, yourself that you thought you were. Yeah. You realise you that, you you know, you're not immortal. That, uh, you know, and, you know, at 70, you, you know you're not, but you still consider yourself fairly fit and, and well and you're driving and you're having your life and you're moving on. And then suddenly all that is questioned and it is a scary place. It, it, it does feel very, you, you feel extremely vulnerable and um, you do question it a huge amount. Mm. And, you know, but though... But again, it is normalising those feelings. And I think people need to know it's okay to feel that way. Mm. And you say you were a counsellor for 20 years with the NHS. You were helping people who no doubt were struggling with anxiety and depression. And then all of a sudden you find yourself perhaps sliding in to some anxiety and perhaps depression. Yes, I, I recognise that, and I think it's the same as very similar to when my late husband, uh, you know, my late husband died. I I think the good thing is having done so much training and so much work, you're aware that these feelings and are, are normal. Yeah, that it's okay to feel angry. It's okay to feel 
all the all the negative feelings what i it what took me a, a, a bit longer to link is that feeling of vulnerability that came from a from having the heart in that heart attack and the isolation that i felt and the the podcast helped me recognize that and link that it, because there is a huge amount of um, uncertainty afterwards every twinge you get you think oh my god is this another one you know you go to bed at night and you wonder if you're going to wake up in the morning you you go to run for something or do something you think or lift lift something you think oh should i do that if something's going to happen to the stent you have no idea you feel very um very naive about lots of things mm. i think so uh, all my training isn't going to help with that but what it does is enable me to look i'm not afraid to to explore whether or not it's normal or it's okay or whatever so maybe that's why i opened the podcast i i, I wasn't afraid of them mm. and if um you yourself a counselor who is um struggling with some of these things it uh no doubt must be a huge challenge for many other people who don't have the, the training and the knowledge and the resources behind them. No, it must. And I, I do wonder if it, you know, that level of anxiety that comes in, I do wonder if, if it is something that stays with people sometimes for a very long time, um, if, if not forever. Uh, especially they haven't been able to do the cardiac rehab and things like that, that um have all been locked down again so it, it is that feeling of how safe am i to do this and who do they ask who, where do they go for it um it's an unknown quantity and each person will deal with it very differently some mm. people will be very gung-ho some people but some people i think who become anxious i think could remain very anxious that they're that they're always waiting for the next event if you like and yeah that must be frightening. When you say that it was the vulnerability that really perhaps stood out to you or struck you after the heart attack, do you mean that you're grappling with your own mortality and you're wondering another heart attack is just around the corner? Is my heart going to continue beating? Am I going to die tomorrow? What's going through your mind when you're feeling that vulnerability? Well, I, I feel it less and less now because it's almost a year, so I'm feeling it less and less. But initially it was, oh, so this is what I might die of then. I, I, if I have another one, this is what I might die of. And I've got no fear of dying. I haven't got any fear of dying at all. Um, I've, I've had a great life and everything else. But it's that vulnerability of be, not being in control. And I think that's the vulnerability because you don't have any warning. Mm. That's that's the bit that worry that I think I've been left with, and I don't know if other people have, but I certainly have been left with that feeling that, well, you know, if if I go trekking up a mountain, I, I may not be, you know, I I may have a, another heart attack or something. It's that vulnerability of no warning, no no significant warning that you're going to be ill. I don't know what I'd do with it if I had some warning, but it is that, you know, it, it's uh, it reminds me of actually, you know, I just said when the paramedics were here and my daughter, I said, I'm just so glad I haven't left, you know, because I, I leave my house and then within five minutes if that i am in the middle of fields there is just absolutely nothing there mm. and and i said i could have had this heart attack and been 
lying there for hours. I could have been dead. And my daughter said, well, just as well you didn't because they've let the cows into the field and I certainly wouldn't be sitting with you now because she hates, she's petrified of them. It was very good that the heart attack <laughs> struck when you were putting on your walking boots on that Sunday morning. Absolutely. And I think it is the vulnerability. You realise that you are, we're all vulnerable, you know, uh, and, and I do live my life that there's no point in dwelling on it because I could dwell on it and then walk out into the middle of the road and get run over by a bus. So I I try to, I, I don't dwell on it, but it is feeling those early days, it was that vulnerability mm. and it's scary. How did the low mood express itself when you were really down there? Tearful, emotional and feeling quite angry, why me, uh, which is, you know, which is normal. Uh, what, what have I done wrong? Why should it be me? Other people live far more unhealthy lives and I haven't smoked for donkey's years. I, I exercise, I do this and I do that. So the low mood was um, drawing into myself, uh, which I, I recognised was a dangerous thing, and uh, being very emotional. But was the emotions, uh, was it being emotional because I'd had a heart attack and it was a reaction to that? Or was it emotional because it was I emotional because I was going into a lower and lower mood? And and the low mood was reactive. It was it was to to a situation and the situation was ex was absolutely you know the unknown. I had never lived through a lockdown. I had never not been able to go to the shops. I had never not had people had come into the house. So I think there was, an, you know, we'd already been in lockdown for two months by this point. So I think everyone was feeling in a bit of a low mood and fed up with it all. I know my girlfriends were when I was talking to them. Mm. So I think the heart attack just finished it. It just took you to that edge mm. of, you know, grief. What, what else is going to go wrong? Did Councillor Jean ever have a chat with patient Jean during those moments? Oh, yeah, of course you do. Um, you know, it, that that's uh, the counsellor in me um, acknowledged that it was all okay to feel this way. But then, you know, things like keeping to a routine, I made myself keep to a routine. I set my alarm and I got up at the same time every day. Um, I, I showered every day. I did all the practical things that counsellor Jean would be telling any client to do to create a routine and a pattern. And I made sure that I spoke to somebody most, you know, my husband was here, but I tried to speak to friends most days and just be kind to myself because I think it, it took too much energy um, to try and fight it all the time. Sometimes you have to just be, and it's okay to be, to be sad, to be angry. It's, it's okay to be angry that it's happened to your body. You know, that's mm. fine. But it's also being aware not to let that anger fester is to normalise that anger within you and recognise where it's coming from. Why am I angry? You know, well, anger is a normal reaction. It's a normal reaction that we all feel, and it's a healthy one because sometimes anger, that emotion, will be a driver to do something more positive. So, yeah, I think I was lucky that I had all that background, 20-odd years' experience in me. When I look back and when I verbalise what I 
experience. I, re I, I was really, really lucky, Bill. I, you know, I had great support. I had really friends who were really sending me lovely messages and wanting, you know, doing whatever they could from a distance. And, and I had a husband, you know, I, I was so lucky that I had met Tom and I had got married. I, I, I did. I did think to myself on more than one occasion, what would this be like if I lived on my own? It would be awful, absolutely awful. Mm, had some good support around you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the isolation and, and feeling vulnerable and on your own, that, well, I think that would have been a really um, difficult place to be. What would Jean, the counsellor, say to that person who might be alone and recovering from a heart attack? Well, you always talk about their safe place. We always talk about, so, you know, what can you do to feel safe? What what, what do you, what can you put in place? But in the lockdown, the normal things that you would put in place wouldn't be available. But, you know, the, the, I would I would be saying to that person who was on their own, that gene on her own, so what do you need to do? Well, I would have perhaps had made sure that I had somebody checking in on me each morning and each evening just to make sure I was okay. And so I, I think the vulnerability of knowing that I wouldn't be lying on the floor for 48 hours or something would be good. You know, what is your biggest fear? And uh, what, what is making you feel, you know, I wonder what makes you feel so vulnerable and what, what do you feel you can put in place to give you some support and strength? Mm, so it's swallowing your pride and asking someone to call or being open to help. Yep, absolutely, mm. absolutely. Easier and said than done. It is easier said than done, but, you know, you make that one call or you make that one request and you see somebody say, I'll be really happy to do that. You know, when when people say, are you okay, and someone says, yes, I'm, I'm okay, I'm fine, and people accept it, I often say to people, just, just ask a, set, a second time. You know, people say yes, but just check. Are you really okay? Mm. Jean, why did you want to become a counsellor? I left school at 15 um, and, went and did a secretarial course and um, I actually wanted to be an engineer. Uh, mm. But uh, my dad, my lovely dad was a dockyard man and lady, nice girls, only became secretaries, hairdressers, teachers or nurses. And so I did secretarial and I, I was always into, I love people. I love, you know, I could sit at an airport or on a railway station and watch people's body language and how they communicate and how they sit. I love all that stuff. Mm. And nurture and nurture, nurture and nature, are people born, born to do bad things or is it, you know, is it nurture or nature? So I decided that I was, I would like to do a degree, and when my daughter was doing her A levels, I took mine at the same time. <laughs> yes, same time, same room. How old were you then? Forty-five. Mm -hmm. About forty-four, forty-five. She was seventeen, doing her A levels, and she was taking her chemistry, and I was taking my sociology. Brilliant. <laughs> so I took. She did chemistry, biology, and physics. And I did sociology, psychology, and business studies. Okay. Did you tell me, Jean, too, that uh, your future son-in-law was also in the room doing the A-levels? He was. He was. He was doing his. Yeah, uh, he was. So they were doing their, their their exams, and there was his future mother-in-law sitting at the back of the room doing hers. Little did he know. 
But little did we know, yes. And but, uh, only only recently I was able to really shock him and say, he's he's 44 next week. And I, I said to him, do you realise you're just the age, coming into the age that I was when I first met you? How did he respond? <laughs> he went to say, no, you can't possibly be. <laughs> Yeah, he really wanted to hear that one. I enjoyed that. So um, I took that and I applied the um, degree course at Portsmouth Uni to do psychology. And uh, somebody said to me, have you thought about doing a basic counselling skills course? It might help with the psychology and all the rest of it. So I said, yeah. And actually, I did that basic, and it was just like somebody had switched a light on. Mm. It just absolutely did everything that I wanted it to do. It It's a relationship with people. It You really get to know them. To see them recognise that they have choice, it's just amazing. So I went on and did that. Jumping back to your recovery, how did you know in your mind, were you able to notice or observe uh, your mood? And was there a point when you realized or a few days when you realized that things were beginning to look more up? Yeah, I think I think um, I, I had managed to keep the basics. So I had, I had continued to shower, I, as I say, and do the, I started to take an interest in getting a meal again. Um, I would prepare it in the morning. So I started to try and make parts of the day that were um, productive. Hmm. And, you know, when when I had negative thoughts, I, I was able to say, well, you're still here. And, you know, it's um, your negative thoughts. So what are you what you're achieving from those? What 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 do you want? What do I need to make it better? Well, I, I need to feel that I'm still got purpose. So that was the way I started to build up. And then slowly um I I I sort of walked, we live on a very small road and I walked to the end of the road and back again and then I walked to the next next part and then when my girlfriend came over I think it was because I, I, I was very careful. You're given a, a guideline of what you can do for the first few weeks. Mm. Um, from, I, 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 it was on a sheet and I kept to that. And I, I, I did what they suggested in the way of exercise. And I built up each day. And, you know, my husband would perhaps go and get the meal, the food, and then I, I enjoyed preparing it. Um, and I would cook it, but obviously he would clear it all up afterwards. So slowly you begin to realise, you look back and you think, actually, life is almost normal again. Mm. It's really good. Mm. Step by step. Step by step. And, and don't beat yourself up when that step goes backwards because it's like being on a diet. You know, it, mm. it, just because you fall off the you know, you fall off the diet and you eat a cream donut doesn't mean to say you have to eat one the next day. I think that's the bit, yeah, I, I, you do that and then come Monday you may not have it. Or I'll go for a run. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, if you're mad enough to go for runs, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get to my age and find you, your knees are knackered. <laughs> Back to the walking. And, Jean, how are you doing now? How are you doing today? And today I'm doing really, really well. I mean, I don't. Th I think anyone looking at me would never know that um, I've had a heart attack. Um, but I don't suppose people don't go around with a label on them, do they? I honestly don't feel I have any any sort of 
bits hanging on from it. I, I'm perhaps, I, you know, I think I say to myself sometimes, God, I do get tired by the evening. And but you know, I, I'm 72. I'm perhaps allowed to get tired by the evening. Mm. Um, I don't sit down all day. I I make sure I do at least 10,000 steps mm-hmm. um, five times a week. Mm. And I do a Pilates class and, you know, I, I do lots of things and I, I do voluntary work. So I, I I look after my daughter's dog when they're all working. So I right today, I would say that I'm back to where I was. I think I'm more, um, I try and be more relaxed about things. I'm not quite so, you know, I have to hoover every day and I have to do this every day. So I'd say I'm, I'm doing okay, actually. Uh, I've got a year's checkup, and you get rid of some of the tablets um, after a year. This uh, I forget what they're called, but there's two tablets I think I stop in May. And I'm really excited about that. That, to me, is, is going to be like the last hurdle because I think the tablets I'm on then, I will have to stay on for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. which is fine. I can, you know, I've, I've got used to them, and they're not, they, they don't intrude into my life. Um, so yeah, I think I think I'm doing okay. Mm. Um, Tell me about your grandchildren. Oh, I've got two boys, and they're absolute delight. They are my absolute amazing, amazing kids. I I have I had my daughter um, having had a huge number of miscarriages. I had my daughter eventually, and uh, I have a stepdaughter. So I had had no experience of boys at all. And they are just so much fun. <laughs> they're so, they say it as it is, you know, they'll, they, they wind each other up, but they don't do this drama queen, you know, stropping around quite so much and door banging. They're, they're, they're a bit more earthy with mm. their frustrations. Which I just find easier. You've um, mentioned that you had some miscarriages and you've lost your husband. You've been through um, quite a bit. Have these uh, things helped you? Did they help you when you were coping with your recovery from the heart attack? I, I To be honest, Bill, I think all life events are can either have a negative or a positive. At the time they're happening, I will say they are negative, but they also are a really good source to be able to to pull on to realize that you do move on you do you do cope the world doesn't end and you find ways of dealing and coping with it the miscarriages i had been told i would probably struggle to have children because of the crohn's disease and they proved right so uh, those those that coping mechanism for me was uh get up brush yourself down and move on but the somebody who hadn't been told about Crohn's disease or hadn't it had that part of their lives disrupted because I had been a young 20 year old who'd been traveling Europe and having a fabulous time in the 60s suddenly found themselves ill and back at home and being exactly where I didn't want to be so um that life experience and the life experience of the miscarriages they all go in your toolbox. They all they they all are part of your tool toolbox of life. And if you can look on that as a toolbox of life, and you pull on those resources. And when my husband died, I you know fortunately I had had years of being a counsellor. I knew it was okay to be angry. I knew it was okay to feel guilty that I was still alive and he wasn't, and he wasn't going to see the grandchildren grow up. I knew all that, so I knew that was another part of my toolbox 
and you do move on. And if people can see some of the negative life experiences, some of them are horrible and they, they, they will not ever have a positive feedback for you. But a lot of life experiences can be used and can be drawn on to give you the support you might need in the future. And I think that's what I did. Mm. Mm. What would you say, Jane, to others who might be going through what you went through after your heart attack? It is okay to feel that vulnerability and that scaredness. And it is also okay to feel that the 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 low mood because i think the other thing that we don't realize is that you know i was put on what seven tablets i went from having one little tablet in the morning from for blood pressure to seven tablets a day and you know if you actually read the side effects uh, there's quite a few negative ones there and you do feel a bit rubbish taking that when you start the medication Mm. your body has been it's like it's somebody's thrown your body up in the air and you've come down a different shape and a different size and a different way. And it's about finding that way again in, in that in that new body. And you will do it, but you, you, you will need perhaps some support and don't be afraid to look for that support. Be it your family, your friends, the British Heart Foundation, your GP, and, and take what is offered to you as a support system. It is just such a a scary scary place and nothing will prepare anyone for it and that's all i can say and some some people you know when i think of um some people in their 30s and 40s had these heart attacks and some people uh, you know we hear of people having a heart, heart attack and drop dead uh, so we know we've been lucky and it's almost i, I can also remember feeling guilty because I'm 70 and I didn't die. So why is that poor guy, you know, the poor guy who who I heard, who you hear about, who's left three young kids, you know, and life is unfair. And sometimes that makes you feel worse because you're still here. It makes you feel guilty. And the guilt is part of that grief process of what you've lost and what you, you know, what, what is different for you. And all of those feelings are okay, but you do, but the biggest thing I'd say is talk. Mm. Talk is talk, talk, talk. Because people don't talk. Mm. People hold it all in. And when you hold it all in, it goes into your head and it goes round and round and round like a washing machine. Mm. The movie reel. Yeah. Mm. Well, we've had a good chat, a good talk, Jane, this yeah. afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jane, thank you very much for talking with me. And we wish You're you all. We wish you all the very best. Same to you. Have a lovely weekend. Heart attack symptoms can vary from person to person, but the most common signs of a heart attack are chest pain or discomfort in your chest that suddenly occurs and doesn't go away. It may feel like pressure, tightness or squeezing. The pain may spread to your left or right arm or may spread to your neck, jaw, back or stomach. You may also feel sick, sweaty, lightheaded or short of breath. If you experience any of these symptoms, you or somebody nearby should call 999. Coronary heart disease kills more than twice as many women as breast cancer in the UK every year, and it's the single biggest killer of women worldwide. Despite this, heart disease is often considered a man's disease. More than 800,000 women in the UK are living with coronary heart disease, which is the main cause of heart attacks. 35,000 women every year are admitted to hospital following a heart attack. 
That's an average of 98 women a day or four per hour. If you've got any questions about your heart or circulatory health, call the BHF's Heart Helpline to speak with a nurse between 9 to 5 on Monday to Fridays on 0300 330 3311 or email hearthelpline at bhf.org.uk. You'll also find useful information in the episode notes and on our website, bhf.org.uk. See you next time on The Ticket Tapes.